Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, just one quick announcement for this morning um, before we get started. This isn't like 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 announcement announcement worthy for the opening slides, but I put a uh, note out there on Realm. We've got some stuff to assemble, and it would just be really awesome if we get some people right after church. Um, well, you know, make some space back there by the coat racks. There's some shelves we need to get put together. Uh, this is actually going to help us in our moving of stuff um, from here to the the new part of the the church, the ELC, in just a week away. It's it's almost here everybody. So if I had a couple of volunteers, I think there's nine total. I think there's seven of one kind and two of another kind or something like that. That would be awesome. That would really be helping our teachers out, really be helping Sandy out. They would be very grateful uh, for that. So if you'd be willing to do so, um, they're back there. You'll, there's a bunch of boxes back there, and it's the shelves that need to get put together. You'll figure it out. You're smart people, right? So our text today <clears throat> is from Matthew chapter 6, and if you've been paying close attention for the last couple of weeks, we've been in Matthew 6, but we did it kind of backwards. Um, And that's not because I think I'm smarter than Jesus, or I'm a better organizer of stuff than the Holy Spirit when through Matthew this was written. I think it's more cultural. Uh, So for us, in, in, in Western minds, we like to put things in a logical order, whether that's chronological or usually from easier to harder, right? That's kind of the way in which we like to put things in order. That wasn't how people with the the Eastern, Middle East mindset were thinking. They, They could hear three or four topics and not have to have them in any order, but then just kind of see how they they crossed over, almost like a Venn diagram. Is is more of the idea of like what is central to these three things. I think I kind of put them in order of easier to harder. Anybody thinking fasting is the easiest one? Well, yeah, it is, right? Um, maybe maybe not fasting at at a certain level, but if if you were gonna fast from cupcakes. Just don't buy cupcakes, right? Just don't make cupcakes. That's, that's pretty easy to, to not do something. You're not even doing something. You're not doing something. Um, but yeah, there's, obviously there's different types of fasting that are more challenging and whatnot. And then prayer, right? It's, it's sometimes kind of hard to map out prayer. And then giving. <laughs> that one's interesting. And it's, it's weird because up until this year, I have, I have preached on giving almost never and we just had a stewardship series, and I did have to preach on money and giving and offering, and then here it is again today, but you, you can't escape it. When I, when I put the list of spiritual disciplines together, I tried to leave this one out, um, but you really can't. It's, it's central. Uh, we're going to talk about why that is central today and what all three of these things, the, the fasting, prayer, and giving, all have in common today. It's, it's Really very simple and very easy to understand, I think. So this is from Matthew chapter 6. This is our Lord Jesus speaking to us. Because they are his own words, would you please stand? And Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, 
that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to start today <laughs> with what I think is kind of an uncomfortable topic. And it's, it's not just righteousness, it is the doing of righteousness. It's our first point today, our doing of righteousness. Jesus is talking about how as disciples, a, a core tenant of being a disciple is to do righteousness. But we have to understand what righteousness is. Righteousness, if you look up, you know, just a, a dictionary definition of it, it, it is a moral right, a moral good. Or to do righteousness, or to be righteous, is to make something that's, that's wrong right, you know, to, to be right before God, to be in line, to have the problem solved, however you want to think about it. Righteousness is, is really... The, the idea that, that something wasn't set right, but now here it is. That, that's, that's righteousness among people. But what that obviously begs is a judger of righteousness. Right? What is right? What is good? What is wrong? What wrong needs to be made righteous? And somebody's got to decide that. It's in, intrinsic to the very idea of righteousness is a moral judge. And therein we have a real problem. Because there's, there's all sorts of people in this world who do not believe. They're not believers in a creator or a God of, of any type, but they still do good things. I have a pretty good friend who's a, a devout atheist who does good, who gives to causes, who, who supports people, who is charitable and generous and kind in a lot of different ways. I'm judging that, right? And, and even, let's say, if, if this person, this non-believer, was very good and very right and, and contributed charitably and was generous but didn't tell anybody, you'd have to ask the question, why are they doing that and who is their judge? Essentially, it is self righteousness. I know I don't love that. I don't love saying that about anybody, that you are self-righteous in your giving. But if you're doing something because you believe that it is good and you are doing a good thing, you're making a wrong thing into a right thing, well, you first have to judge that that thing is wrong. I mean, that doesn't come out of, out of vapor, right? That doesn't just come out of the ether. You, you have, have stood and said, this is wrong. Or maybe culture and society has said, that is wrong, and some people are standing up to do something or say something about it to help make it right. Well, then we get this phenomenon that, is, that our culture is rampant with, which is virtue signaling. When you're doing virtue signaling, when you, are, when you are participating in that, you're doing something to let everybody know, I'm on the right side. I see this wrong, and I'm saying something about it or participating in some way to make it right. That's why you're doing it. And there's you know, reasons for that little dopamine hit you might get if, if people look and say, that's a good person. 
Oh, that person's on the right side of history. That, that person has done right and has said right. All of this is, is just intrinsic to righteousness as, as a practice. And it's, it's something all of us should be doing. When Jesus says this, let's put this up on the screen, actually. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Beware. Be careful. That's the imperative. That's what Jesus is saying to do. It's not practice righteousness. That's an infinitive in, in this text. The infinitive is the thing you're doing, you know, when you do the thing you do. Because everybody does the thing they do. They see something that they judge, society judges, the culture judges, or God judges as wrong, and they try and make it right. Everybody does this. Even at a core level, if it is like super, super corporeal, right? I am hungry, and that is wrong. <laughs> I have judged being hungry wrong, so I'm going to make a sandwich and eat it to right the wrong of my hunger, right? I, I am judging that hunger, and it's obvious, normal, base level. We try and right wrongs in our world. Some people get it twisted, and what they think is a wrong that needs to be righted is actually a good that most people have judged. This is a good thing. But they see it differently. And, and they make it right in their minds, which is actually very evil. This is just a condition of humanity. And Jesus says, be careful when you're doing righteousness. But what is Jesus assuming? When he's saying this to his disciples, he is assuming a level of faith and relationship with their creator. He is assuming that they understand righteousness in, in relation to a God who has created and Jesus himself, a God who will die for their sins, and it changes everything when it comes to believers like you and me. Because we do righteousness, we practice, we engage the righteousness that we have. See, and there's the difference. When it comes to righteousness in, in a way that matters, in a way that is, the, the dorky way to say it would be salvific, right? That, that it has to do with being saved. That righteousness is given to us. Because if it's God who's going to judge if we're good based off of what we do, well, his baseline for judging is perfection. And we say it all the time, nobody's perfect, right? If we're going to judge, if God's going to judge us and we're going to do righteousness according to his standards, okay, be perfect then, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus' own words from later in this very Sermon on the Mount. If you want to try and have your own righteousness, go for it. It's called perfection. See if you can do it. And, of course, the disciples respond with, that's impossible. And Jesus goes, right. With man, that's impossible. With God, it is possible. And God simply did the thing 
in order to, to give to us the gift of righteousness. He dies on a cross, takes all of our flaws, all of our sin on himself, and he takes his rightness, his perfection, and he imputes it to us. That's the theological word. He just transfers it to us, right? It's like, like Jesus has Venmo to our souls and just Venmos us his righteousness, right? And we Venmo him our sin. That's, that's how that works. That transaction works like that. So, so righteousness has been given, and that changes everything for the disciples because what Jesus says is not like the hypocrites who sound the trumpets to let everybody know they're about to gain some points in righteousness. They're about to make a deposit in their Venmo account of righteousness. They're, they're about to do this thing, but I need everybody to see it because you are the judges of my righteousness. So everybody pay attention. I'm about to put a big wad of bills in the offering plate. Everybody see? Oof. Aren't I good? And Jesus goes, no, no, no. You've been given righteousness. Not by anything you do. You've been made righteous. You are righteous. And now do the righteousness stuff. <laughs> do the righteousness stuff in secret, which seems oddly at odds with something else Jesus says again on the Sermon on the Mount. It seems at odds with it, but you just got to look and, and just examine a little bit more closely the text. So on one hand, he's saying, do it in quiet, in secret, in the dark, where nobody can see you, but Jesus does see you, and God does see you. But in Matthew chapter 5, earlier, the salt and light text says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything to be thrown out, trampled under the people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill, right? So if, you're, if your righteousness, you're like a light, a city on a hill, can't be hidden, nor do people put People light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand. It gives its light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's a head scratcher. Do it in front of everybody so they can all see your good works, but actually do it in a dark, secret room where nobody can see. The key there is at, at the end of that text. Put that last slide up again. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, that's the key. The hypocrites do it for their own glory. The hypocrites are virtue signaling by letting everybody know. But here, Jesus is saying, when you, when you do good things, it's like a beacon and a light that shines and gives glory to God. But Jesus then later in chapter 6 is like, here's the thing though, giving is hard. Giving is hard because it always tends to, to glorify the giver. The next point in the sermon is glorify God. That's the point, is glorify God. Now, glorify is this really interesting word. In the Greek, doxa is, is the word. But it, it has this root that is similar to another word, dokeo, to, to make known. Right? So glory 
has a, has a component to it where, where it's known by others, right? A, a fantastic athlete really only has glory when everybody's watching. What if, what if you were a, an accomplished, oh, I don't know, shot putter or something? Sorry, he was bragging on you this morning. But you only ever shot put in your backyard and you never went to a competition. And you're, you're throwing like 22 feet, right? That's about what you got? That's what, that's what he said. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, he's throwing 22 feet in his backyard, but nobody knows. Okay, that's good. It's, gr- it's fantastic, but there's no glory in it. The glory is when other people know. What, what Jesus, all he's simply, simply, very simply saying is, your good works should always make it known that God is glorious. Your good works should always point to God. Your good works should always elevate and amplify God. But see, when we give, just because of the, the nature of it, when, when, you, when you see somebody in need and you go, this is wrong that this person is hungry. This is wrong that this person is struggling. This is wrong that this family is suffering. I am going to do something for them. They say, thank you. That was so kind of you. So generous of you. So wonderful of you. You are just an amazing person. You're just awesome. Right? Self-glory. Even if you try and do it the right way, you go, no, 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 no. Don't, Don't give me glory. Don't give me glory. I'm doing this for Jesus. Jesus is awesome, and and I'm doing this because of Jesus. Jesus gets the glory. Man, that guy's a great Christian. So faithful. So he he must read his Bible and pray all the time to be that faithful to give to me and say, no, listen, I don't want to give, I don't like you. I don't want to give you anything. I don't care if you're hungry, you're smelly, I don't want anything to do with you. But last night, an angel of the Lord came to me in a dream. Jesus showed up a little bit later, and they both said, you have to do this thing, so here I am, and I'm giving you a sandwich, and I don't want to, but God made me do it. What a faithful Christian to do what he doesn't want to do, but still obeys the Lord, right? Still obeys God. It's hard. This one, I, I put at the end, because it's so challenging, just because of the, the intrinsic nature of giving. And I think that's why Jesus is making this point of being quiet about it. Do it in the room, because it's, it's not you necessarily as a Christian. It's this world we live in. It's this place in which we live. It's hard to do this part right, the, the giving part, the generosity part. It's actually a great argument for containing your generosity and giving inside of an institution that has the time, the energy, the resource, and the staff to try and do it as well as we can. The church. Right? Because the church isn't a person. The church isn't an individual. Now, you, you can still have churches intentionally or unintentionally be very generous and in the hopes of receiving the glory, like, isn't it amazing? That church, they gave that offering, and they did that thing, and it was amazing. That church is really cool. That church is really generous. See, it's, it's always difficult 
a little bit more manageable. I, I can't tell you how many times where I've, I've been in Kenya in a refugee camp where somebody has, we've, in conversation, they've, they've said, the Lord was so good. Our glorious, amazing Lord was so generous that they gave to us the funds to do and make this building or do this thing. And I go, that was living faith. Uh, and I don't tell them, <laughs> right? I just sit back and I go, isn't God great? Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God glorious that that happens? We have a system set up where, while in Kenya, the left hand doesn't know exactly what the right hand is doing, so a need is identified, and the LCMS in Kenya knows of the need. In that conversation, they make us aware. We circle around on the backside, provide some funds, some things happen over here, and nobody knows, and they just say, God is good, and God is glorious, isn't God amazing? That is, is the, the goal and the purpose of giving when it comes to doing the righteousness that we do. This one is more challenging. There's just no way around it. But at the end of the day, the doing that we do, the giving glory to God that we give has yet another component to it. It is that his glory is our reward. Now, this is, this, this is a tough concept to get to. I'm going to read, I don't have this for the screen, but I'm going to read this from Micah chapter 6. You've probably heard this before. This is, what does the Lord require is the section. Verse 8 says, he has told you. That's how I like to read it. <laughs> it's like, did you've heard this before. I got to say it again. All right, I'll say it again. I'll say it again. I'll say it again. He has told you, oh man. What is good and what the Lord requires, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That word justice and righteousness are very, very close. In fact, the Hebrew and the, the Greek Septuagint translate them kind of back and forth all the time. So you could easily read this, but to do righteousness and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mercy. Mercy is central to this. And, and weeks ago when I started with fasting, I said there is this mystical union that, that what we do and what Christ does are, are sort of intimately bound together in this mystical union, which, which is a wonderful thing that I, I wish I could explain better. I wish I had the language for it, and, and nobody really does. That's why we invent phrases like mystical union, right? But there is this God doing, and I'm involved, but it's definitely him doing, but I'm participating in it. Mercy is where there is a debt, a brokenness, and a wrongness that I got nothing to do with. But out of compassion and love, I see that and freely, not, not because I'm going to get a reward, not because I'm, I, I'm supposed to be duty-bound to do this, but I am going to then do justice or do righteousness and then be humble about it and give glory to God. But that first part right there, mercy, 
mercy, when we give to the needy, we're practicing the righteousness that's been given to us, but let's not forget the mercy because we are debtors. R.C. Sproul has this beautiful quote. I might butcher it a little bit. I don't have it perfectly memorized, but R.C. Sproul said something along the lines of, of Christians have nothing to boast about or be arrogant about or be self-righteous about. We are not winners. We, we are not those who have achieved it all or made it. We are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. <laughs> we are the recipients of mercy. We are the wrong made right. We are the ones hungering for life everlasting. We are the ones thirsting to be made well. We are the ones who see our own brokenness more clearly than anyone, having understood who God is and know what he says is righteous, his perfectness, knowing his doxa, his glory. We know what that is, and that in contrast, we know what we are, and it's nothing like that, right? We are beggars, and he has been merciful. So merciful to, to a guy who, and a, or a woman, to a person, just a, a liar, a cheat, a thief, a drunkard, and all of these things. That, that's who I was. It's who I still am. And the Lord says, mercy. And then he makes it right. That's, that is the dynamic of my relationship with my Lord. And you know what? Every time I see the wrong in this world, I don't judge it's wrong. I know what God judges. And I see the pain and the suffering, and I go, mercy. And I feed or clothe or visit or any of those spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, any of those good works it's not because I have judged it right, not for my own glory, but I'm now participating with Christ in doing righteousness. I am somehow caught up and bound up with Jesus himself being, and what a humble, what a, what a gracious thing he has done for me to catch me up in this so that I might be merciful that, that Jesus, through me, might bring this mercy to people who are in need, who are broken, who are suffering for his glory. And this getting caught up thing. I have a bunch of texts. <laughs> I feel like Dan. <laughs> right? Let's look at Philippians 2, 13. It's 12 and 13. By the way, Philippians 4, 13 most overrated scripture in, in all of the scriptures. People get it tattooed and they have no idea what it really means. Philippians 2.13 is the best, but we're going to talk about 12. We're going to read 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, the presence of Paul, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure 
It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we do good as Christians, we understand this concept. I I am merciful because he showed me mercy. I love because he first loved me. I do righteousness because I've been made righteous. You can't get that anywhere else. Anywhere else, it is self-righteousness, self-glorification, self or other people. That's it. For a Christian, God in us is willing us to do these things. We have become the habitation of our Lord. He has cleansed us and made us righteous so that he can dwell in us. God doesn't dwell in places of sin, death, and eternal damnation. Yes, I still remain a sinner. This is the the complication of it all, is until I shuffle off this mortal coil, till this, this meat wagon of mine finally breaks down and is buried in the ground, I gotta deal with the sinful flesh and the sinful self that is still me. But I know in me also dwells God. And he sees those who need mercy. And he moves me to do that mercy and be righteous for his glory. Let's look at another text. Galatians 2, 19 to 21. For through the law, I died to the law. Not I will die, but I have spiritually died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul is recognizing, I live a life that is still bound up in this broken flesh. And I know this flesh is still sinful and broken. I feel like I break it on a weekly basis. Right? And the older I get, the easier it is to break. <laughs> But this sinful flesh is just evidence that I'm still a sinner. But by faith, I know that God has prepared for me a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. By faith, I know that I can do righteousness that isn't self-righteous, that doesn't glorify myself, judged by me, my spouse, my kids, or anybody in culture in the world. I can do righteousness because Christ living in me has given me righteousness that I can do. Let's look at another one. This is maybe the best. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you fast, it's God doing the fasting. When you, it's Jesus. When we fast, we are caught up with Jesus fasting in the wilderness. When we pray, It is the spirit we are caught up in who prays along with us. And when we get to that spot where we don't have the words, he just keeps going, right? And when we give and show mercy and do righteousness, that is Christ in us doing these things. Like I said before, (laughs) that the idea that the reason why we do good, our, our reward is no reward, but it is 
the glorification of God, that seems stupid according to the world. Why would you do good if it doesn't make you feel good? Why would you do good if it doesn't impress anybody? Why would you do good if nobody gives you a plaque or names a building after you? Why would you do that? Well, the answer is when I glorify God, I see the circle complete, right? God who is glorious, God who is glorious and is righteous, made me a poor, pitiful being who needed mercy to be righteous. So that when I do righteousness to someone else who needs that mercy, God then is glorified that they might see and understand and know the same. And then as Paul says, in my absence, maybe they go and do that same righteousness for others. See, it's contagious and it catches when we glorify God. When you glorify self, all I do is build a system for that person to keep coming back to that really good dude who always gives me a sandwich, that really amazing Christian who is so generous and charitable. But when I point to God as the, the standard of righteous, righteousness and the giver of mercy, then they understand who they are in relation to their creator. And then they understand and if they believe the need to show that mercy to others. So you see, this sermon on giving has almost nothing to do with giving. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, it isn't about what you put in the offering plate, what, what number you typed in when you click give. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It is glorify your God who showed you mercy. Glorify your God who made you to be righteous. Glorify the creator who has given all of these things. And this is the toughest way to do it, even when your heart is right, because the world is looking to glorify mankind. But not us. Not those who believe. Not those who trust in him. We understand God alone gets glory. He knows what is right. He knows what is good. And he has made me right. And as, as you and as I stand before him today, we stand before him as righteous, perfect, holy, and forgiven. This is who you are before God at this moment and every moment that you believe it, that you believe in the one he has sent to make you right. Amen. May the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, would you, actually, let's do the question of the day before we stand. Ah, I'm going to get this right eventually. So the question is, what is wisdom? What do you think is the wisest thing a person can do? That's a good question. Yeah, one general thing that, that a wise person would do all of the time. I can think of a couple, actually. Um, so that, again, is a question you can use for kiddos as you're driving home, um, just talking with your spouse, with your friends, your neighbors, drinking coffee, or putting together shelves. That's a great thing to have that conversation about. So would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks uh, that you saw me in those dark and pitiful times, 
You saw me as one in need of mercy, and you extended it to me, that you sent your son to die for me, to take upon him all of my sin and to give to me his righteousness. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given me opportunity to participate with you in showing mercy to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.